Hello, I'm Janus. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Welcome to episode 35 of Your New Favorite Word. We just wanted to take a minute to let you know that we have decided this will be the final episode of season one as we take a hiatus over the next few weeks to focus on our family and the holidays. We hope you will join us again in January when we plan to kick off season two. And we will kick off today's episode by asking Jameis, what do you have to share with us? Great. So before I dive into my word for this episode, I wanted to take a brief walk down memory lane and highlight a few of my favorite, favorite words (laughs) from our first season of this podcast. It was, frankly, hard to limit the list. Every word I presented this year was my new favorite word, after all. Of course. But here are four. First, Vittle, from episode 28, spelled V-I-C-T-U-A-L. Yeah, that was a great one. This one blew my mind. I had always assumed it was pronounced Victual. And that vittle was a separate word. It just goes to show that language will never stop surprising you. (laughs) In episode 27, I loved learning that the math in aftermath actually refers to a mowing. And the aftermath is what is left of a field after it has been mowed. I also really loved the idea of a day's math, the amount of grass that can be cut by a person in one day. (laughs) as a beautiful poetry to it. And I loved, loved, loved the notion of the word after, literally meaning more aft. (laughs) In episode 25, I learned about linguistic misdivision, where two words that are spoken together are split incorrectly. An eye thus becomes a nigh, and a pig's eye thus becomes dialectically a pig's nigh or a pig's knee, and you wind (laughs) up with a very bizarre term of endearment. And then in episode 14, I talked about eggcorns. An eggcorn, as you may recall, is the name of a word, is the name for a word or phrase that has been misheard or misinterpreted. For instance, the phrase, for all intents and purposes, is often misspelled and misspoken as for all intensive purposes. (laughs) This is an eggcorn. And my favorite eggcorn of all is the obscure word mumpsimus, which came to describe any person who obstinately clings to an erroneous practice or belief, even after being corrected. For the full history of the word, which is fascinating, check out episode 14. Those are so fun. Yeah, and there's so many more. But if I try and recount them all, this will wind up taking hours. <laughs> so The we listeners should... can just go back and listen to those episodes. Exactly, at their <laughs> leisure. So... On to my new favorite word. I decided I wanted to wrap this first season up with season. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it seemed appropriate, given that we're not only dealing with the end of a season of our podcast, but we're also entering the Christmas season, enjoying the holiday season, digging in for this winter season, and waiting for the end of this interminable election season. (laughs) (laughs) So what's fascinating to me, first of all, is that the word season has carried its current meaning of a period of the year since the mid-14th century. That's almost seven centuries of language evolution that season has resisted. Hmm. This includes both the winter season meaning, as well as more general ideas like harvest season, or fruit in its season, or breeding season. That's pretty impressive. 
I can't think of any other word we've presented that has survived so unchanged for so long. Hmm, that's interesting. The word itself comes to English from Latin via Old French. In Latin, the word sationum referred to the act of sowing seeds, hmm. like in a field. And the season originally referred to a sowing or planting. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So Edamon Line says that the sense shifted in vulgar Latin from the act of sowing to the time of sowing. And then the sense broadened further from there to refer to any period or time in a year. Even in Old French, before the word was ever borrowed into English, it had already gained most of the senses of season that we use today. I did wonder if sationum was at all related to satisfy and satiate. Yeah, that was what it rang in my ears. Yeah. Right, but alas, no. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been cool, though, with yeah. satisfaction being related to the sowing of seeds in a field? <laughs> But they have different roots. Our Latin root sationum, via its hypothetical Proto-Indo-European root se, is actually related to words like disseminate, seminar, mm. seed, and sow. Thus, you might hold a seasonal seminar to disseminate seeds for sowing <laughs> and repeat yourself a half dozen times. <laughs> so lastly, season as a verb, meaning to improve the flavor of food by adding spices. Oh, was also used in that sense in the 13th century. What a robust word. And it's the same word. It comes from like the... To old... put seeds on your food kind of thing? Well, it comes from the Old French saisonné, which derives from that sationum. And it's via the sense that flavoring food makes it to the season. Like oh. the idea of uh, ripe fruit being more palatable in the season of its ripeness. Hmm. So you're seasoning the fruit. Fascinating. I never would have made that connection. Yeah, me neither. It was kind of fascinating to learn about that. Hmm. And I mean, and through all of this, it strikes me that we've learned a lot over the last seven months, not just about words, but even just about doing this podcast. <laughs> I listened to a few of our earliest episodes recently, and <laughs> yeah, they were kind of rough. <laughs> we had to start somewhere. I know. And we're still rank amateurs at this, really. But I like to think that our technique and presence have ripened a bit. And that this first season has borne a harvest that I feel pretty happy about. Oh, I look forward to starting a new season with the new year. Me too. Thanks, Jamis. Sure. So that's what I've got. How about you, Tessa? Great. Well, some of the things I was looking back on from our previous episodes were some concepts that I, I kind of found a pattern in some things that were really interesting to me. So in episode seven, for example, I talked about the idea of coining words and where mm -hmm. that word coin comes from and the idea of how words get in the dictionary yeah. and something that most people don't fully understand that dictionaries reflect usage instead of the other way around and then just a couple weeks ago in episode 33 the word cliche uh, meaning a technical word in a printer's jargon for a certain type of printing block and then this reminded me of my very first favorite word in episode one, absquatulate. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah, so this was one that was kind of created with a mock Latinate formation. So putting ab as the prefix, meaning away, squat as the verb in the middle, and the ulate ending, absquatulate, to go off and squat elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so this idea of filling in the blank with parts of words is really intriguing to me so for example in episode 27 i talked about the gate suffix coming from water gate oh, right. and yeah. other words that were added to that, that suffix 
to make new ideas based on that original one. And so this idea of fill in the blank phrases caught my attention. So you think about some very common phrases, for example, to be or not to be, that is the question from Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. right? But how many times have we heard that with other words placed instead of be? So to X or not to X, that is the question. Can you think of an example, Jameis, of when you might have said something like that? Or heard. I mean, it seems, yeah. seems like around Thanksgiving time, there's the to eat or not to eat. That is the question. <laughs> yeah, Things like yeah. that. Yes. And so there are a lot of examples of this kind of phenomenon. So another Shakespeare reference, my kingdom for a horse, right? But <laughs> we often joke about that. When we can't get something we need. My kingdom for a fork or <laughs> something right, like that. Yes. Yes. Or this is one that's been uh, quite common. So in 1980s fashion scene, this idea that something was the new black, right? Oh, right. So the kind of ubiquitous color that was now being used at whatever time in fashion. But now X is the new Y has become this really common formation. Can you think of an example of something like that? It seems like I've heard it used in programming languages. Yeah, probably. Um, which is, you know, where I work professionally and the people talking about X language is the new Y language, where Y was some very popular language. Yeah. Well, and we even hear it in like 40 is the new 20 or something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, just orange is the new black. It's a mm-hmm. famous show, right? Things like that. The mother of all X, right? <laughs> So this was made popular in the Gulf War era with Saddam Hussein, and he gave some speech where he talked about how he was going to present the mother of all battles. And, but that became this ubiquitous phrase, the mother of all bombs, the mother of all cookbooks, the whatever. Yeah, sequels, yes, parodies. Anything, yeah. yes. And then... Not your father's ex, or not your mother's <laughs> ex, or not your grandmother's ex, right? Mm-hmm. We fill in the blank with something. Or X and Y and Z, oh my. <laughs> Lions <laughs> yes. and tigers and bears, right? But people yeah. um, put other things in, in those spots. <laughs> I'm an X, Jim, not a Y. <laughs> right? From Star Trek. I'm a doctor, Jim, not a whatever, photographer or whatever. You could fill in the blank with anything, right? But people get the reference. They understand the context of what you're saying. It's usually humorous. Um, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV, right? I'm not a lawyer, but I play one on TV. We can fill in that X with whatever we want. Mm -hmm. That was originally from a cough syrup commercial. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. And then, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. (laughs) A shampoo commercial from the 1980s. Don't X me because I'm Y. We can fill that in with other examples. So this phenomenon is something that I was curious about. Is there a name for it? And one article I read called it an adaptable cliche frame. Oh, interesting. So this idea of this frame, it's almost like a mad lib, right? totally. And... We have these blanks that we can fill in. But in 2003, a linguist named Jeffrey K. Pullum on a blog called Language Log called for coining a name for this phenomenon. He put out a a request to fellow linguists (laughs) saying, 
who has a good name for this phenomenon. And in early 2004, Glenn Whitman, another linguist, came up with the term that poem liked best. And it has come to be proliferated and used to talk about these kinds of ideas. And the term is snow clone. Snow clone. (laughs) (laughs) So it's humorous because it sounds like a snow cone. It's easy to remember. Uh, But where did that come from? And it actually came from the idea or the factoid, which is a word (laughs) I talked about in episode 22, which originally meant a published statement taken to be fact because of its appearance in print. Uh Not necessarily true, right? The factoid that in the Eskimo language, there are lots and lots of words for snow. Oh, right. And this is something that most people just kind of believe and repeat And they never examine that. Um, It's been hotly disputed in linguistic circles, in anthropological circles, that kind of thing. It depends on how you define a distinct word, because in these languages, the way that they use grammatical forms to express concepts is different than the way we do the same thing. We use compound words. And so it's Mm -hmm. easy to look at how you would translate these things into English and say, oh, we have to use a lot of words to say the same thing that they say with... (laughs) A single word because it's just the way that their language works right and so there are a lot of linguists that just poo poo this as kind of an urban legend sort of thing right and so this idea of so many words for snow has been used in print many times so this kind of idea if eskimos have n words for snow x surely have y words for z okay <laughs> So I'll have some links that kind of show you some examples of that. But this is the basis of this idea. That this is an adaptable cliche frame that's been used. And the authors often talk about this as being a lazy, journalistic way of talking about something. And we're making an assumption. And so Glenn Whitman came up with this idea of a snow clone. Snow clone. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. And at one point... An author from the Los Angeles Times, David Sarno, called these memeshays. Memeshays. <laughs> A memified cliche. <laughs> so, with the operative words removed, leaving spaces for you or the masses to mad lib their own versions. So, that's another funny way to think of it as a memeshay. <laughs> so, and this related to something quite humorous. So, another type of this thing is an ironic phrasal template. So it's meant to be funny. And this harks back to a set of jokes that were well-known at a certain period in the Cold War era by emigre comedian Yakov Smirnov. Okay. (laughs) So the whole Soviet Russia group of jokes, I guess you could say. (laughs) Or genre of jokes, I guess. Genre of jokes, that sounds funny. (laughs) Genre of jokes, I guess you could say. So, for example, in America, you can always find a party. In Russia, the party can always find you. (laughs) (laughs) And then another great one. In America, you watch television. In Soviet Russia, television watches you. (laughs) (laughs) So, these are arguably slightly different from snow clones or meme shays, but they kind of have a similar idea. We have a structure that we can then put in certain things and create humor, create connection and understanding between Mm -hmm. people, which 
is the whole purpose of language, I feel like. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's really fun. So that was a fun walk down memory lane that led to this <laughs> new favorite word for today, which is snow clone. Snow so. clone or meme shade. <laughs> that's great. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all for listening and for supporting us during this first season of your new favorite word. We've had so much fun learning about these words with you, and we've loved hearing how our musings have affected your own ponderings about language. As Tetsa mentioned, we'll be taking December off, but we'll be back in January with season two of your new favorite word. Please keep the feedback coming and let us know if you encounter any fun or unusual or thought-provoking words. You can reach us via Facebook at facebook.com slash your new favorite word or via email at ynfw at jamesbuck.org. Thanks again for an amazing first season and we look forward to reconnecting with you all in the new year. See you then.